This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, a weekly show to help you prioritize your health, happiness, and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, Ellen. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for agreeing to interview me today. Oh, you are so welcome. And I'm just going to dive straight on in. And I would love for you to tell me a little bit about yourself and your teaching journey. Yeah. So um, I have been teaching for six years. I'm a high school Japanese, English and music teacher in Queensland, Australia, and I've only taught in state schools. Um, I did my teaching degree over about five years um, because I was really unwell when I was at uni. So I had to drop back to part-time university in order to finish. Um, and so that meant that when I got to teaching full-time in my first year of teaching, uh, I, my health was still kind of compromised. And uh, when I got to my third year, the beginning of my third year of teaching, I was not doing very well um, physically. So I was unwell again and uh, I dropped back to part-time teaching from there as well so I have sort of swapped and changed between a couple of times since then but um, the last two years I've been part-time teaching and this year I'm taking a year's leave just to focus on my health and see where you know the teacher well-being conversation takes me. Fantastic and so I, I may have missed it in the very beginning how many years total were you teaching before you took your year? Yeah, so uh, teaching for six years in total. Six years um, in total. In the state school system, I was teaching uh, piano privately for about four years before that. So not quite the same, but still in that education field, I suppose. Absolutely. And I'm guessing that, I mean, I, I know your story, so <laughs> I'm not guessing anything. But I'm... Um, I mean, my next question is about your challenges and I, I'm thinking obviously this is going to be a very good segue given I'm sure there's quite a few people going, I wonder why she dropped back to three-quarter time and part-time. Well, I think yeah. you did point eight first and, and then so on and so forth. So, and, and even before that with your university degree, I don't know how far back you want to go mm. in terms of um, the challenge, challenges that you face throughout that journey. Where would you like to start? Yeah, I think let's go all the way. Um, <laughs> all the way back to, yeah, when I, at the end of my second year of uni, I was, um, I, so I did uni full time until about halfway through my third year of uni. Only just realized that that's, that's exactly the way my teaching career went as well. Um, so I was very, very run down. I've been burning the candle at both ends as a lot of university students do. You know, I was doing uni full time and I was working a job, um, which mostly was like, couple of nights a week and all day on the weekends uh, on both days of the weekends and I was going out late Friday and Saturday night as well so I was pretty run down um and then at the beginning uh, of my third year of teaching sorry my third year of uni I got glandular fever um and I just didn't get better I was very very unwell with glandular fever um Actually, you had glandular fever at the same time. We, probably, we got it at the same time. Yeah, I think uh, we got it no, from the we same place. No, we were each other. <laughs> it's called the kissing disease. But, yes, um, yeah, and I kind of – I had a much quicker recovery and um, 
and yeah, you, you had uh, it, it took you down for a long time. Yeah, well, from what I remember, you were kind of a bit sick for about three weeks, and I was really sick for three Six months. Six months plus. Yeah, yeah, well, and then I just didn't really get better. So um, mm. I ended up with chronic fatigue syndrome, basically, and I had chronic tonsillitis as well. And I, I just couldn't manage, mind you, at the same time, I was going to say I just couldn't manage full-time uni. But at the same time, that same year, you know, the doctor had said, oh, you know, glandular fever, you should slow down a bit. <laughs> I got mm. a second job and started a local fundraising um, activity as well. So um, I didn't slow down. So I really... Plus you were in a band and, and yes, a whole I, heap of other extracurricular that, you know, on top of the rest of it. That's right. I was really... Um, doing the opposite of what the doctor had advised um, and I just didn't get better and then I got really, really depressed because it is not pleasant to be really unwell like that all the time. Um, so I, I was pretty crook for about probably two and a half years um, with just with that chronic fatigue where I was forced to slow down basically um, and I, you know, I did eventually go back to one part-time job and I just did part-time uni and that was more than enough for me. And then just before I went on my final teaching prac, I was uh, diagnosed with thyroid cancer and very, very fortunately, um, you know, I've been treated for that. I had my thyroid removed and I am, you know, quote unquote cured uh, um, today, but it was a real wake-up call as if, you know, two and a half years of chronic disease hadn't been um Mm. and I took three months completely off everything and that was the first time I'd really allowed myself to rest um so I wasn't doing my part-time job I wasn't doing uni at all anymore um and that was a real wake-up call because I hadn't really ever allowed myself to stop and rest before it was also obviously very scary uh, but mm. thankfully had a good outcome and that was, yeah, seven years ago. So I'm really very grateful that that happened because it taught me a lot. But obviously it was also a lot for a 22-year-old to go through, 23-year-old, um, and it was a bit, of Absolutely. A, a bit of a scary time in my life. Um, and then that meant that when I actually started my full-time teaching career, my first year, I was six months out of uh, surgery for cancer. So I probably wasn't as robust as most. And then I think that that, that has just followed me. I, I don't think I'll ever be able to teach full time ever again. It was, it was really not very good for me. Um, which is why in my, the beginning of my third year of teaching about a third of the way through, I dropped back to part time. I went back to point eight. Because... I'm just going to pause you there. Cause I, I, and I'd like to kind of start I know you say you struggled in the beginning, but I'd like to kind of dive a bit deeper into what those first couple of years were like because it's quite obvious given just what you went through in terms of university that Mm. well-being would have been, I would have assumed, top of mind for Mm. you moving into it. And and yet, you you know, you did face struggles and as you just said, it wasn't until your third year that you kind of started cutting back the hours. Yeah. I'm interested, do you want to talk us through a little bit about just what it was like in those first, you know, especially first year teaching, first Absolutely. second year teaching, what mm. that looked like? Yeah, and it, it's probably only in hindsight that I can say this, but I had a real um, sense that I didn't want to be that girl with cancer who was, you know, using it as an excuse. And so 
I really was overcompensating a lot of the time. First year is hard. The hours are long. Everything takes longer than, you know, it does once you get used to it because it's all new. You're in a new school. I I taught, I did two contracts at different schools in my first year and then I um, went to my third school in my second year of teaching and I I have taught there ever since. Um, So I moved away to a new new, um, location. Yeah, I moved, I moved four times I think in in that 12 months and I was very aware of the need to or you know a feeling that I needed to impress uh, the people that I worked for. I was on uh, temporary contracts. I was offered a permanent job in my first year but I chose not to take it because my now husband had a job elsewhere um, so I followed him Uh, Mm -hmm. and so I was very I was very entrenched in a people-pleasing mode where even though I had had such a dramatic reminder of the importance of well-being at a really young age, I kind of ignored a lot of what I'd learnt um, because I did not want to let anyone down and I, I was very desperate for a sense of achievement that I had, that, and I felt like my physical body was letting me down but I wasn't going to let my my intellect or my mental achievements let me down um absolutely mm. and so then to go from this place of you know and, and I get it because I, I I mean I'm not a teacher myself <laughs> but I I remember talking you to, to you through that and I have quite a few teacher friends who talk about especially in those first couple of years with the uncertainty too of being on contract and not knowing whether when a full-time job's come along going to come along if one will come along that there is a bit of a a need to impress and to mm. and to prove and to prove yourself and um uh show your worth to the system mm. and so when when did you secure your full-time job was this a I permanent remember, job was it before your permanent job yeah no it was actually it was after I uh, dropped back to part-time so I I am very grateful for the school that I've worked at at the last five years because if I if they had not supported me to to move as a temporary contract teacher back to a, a point eight position, which is you know like an eighty percent teaching load, um, mm. I think I would have had to leave teaching altogether. Uh, really? You know, I wouldn't have even made it through my third year because I, I wasn't well. Um, my and the reason I wasn't well uh, was because I wasn't looking after myself very well. But also it was a um, so I don't have a thyroid now, and I have to manage uh, my thyroid medication levels. Um, and they they weren't being very well managed at the time. I hadn't, you know that that has a big impact on on health. So I just Absolutely. I just wasn't very well. And if they hadn't said if they hadn't supported me in moving back to part-time for, for my health, I don't think I would have been able to to carry on teaching for the next sort of three and a half, four years. Um, and at the time I didn't have a permanent job and there were a number of people in my life who were really concerned that by making that decision I was putting at risk my possibility of getting permanency or tenure even though I knew that that was true, it was possible that it was putting that at risk. I also knew that it was my health was more important because yeah if I hadn't done it I wouldn't have been there for the rest of the year to to finally be offered that permanent position. Absolutely and tell me so when like I'm pretty sure you probably alluded to several of the 
um, reasons as to why you made the switch, but was there kind of a defining moment for you that you went, okay, I have to cut back next year? Um, like was, was there some circumstance that kind of came up that made you finally go, okay, enough's enough, I need to, mm. to change this for myself? I think it was, a, it was a gradual worsening of my physical and mental condition. So thyroid hormone mm-hmm. impacts mental health as well as physical health. Um, and mm-hmm. in particular, my levels at that time, I was um, my level of medication was too much. And so that means I had too much thyroid hormone in my system, which can cause anxiety. And I was having, I don't know if they're traditional panic attacks, but, but um, certainly hormonally generated anxiety. Um, and I just was not coping. I wasn't coping with the amount of marking that I had to do. I was, you know really struggling to concentrate for the long periods of time after school that you have to in order to get all your paperwork done and emotionally I you know was falling apart uh which mm-hmm. which was really difficult because and I'm sure anyone who's ever had any uh, mental health issue in their life knows this you sort of you start to think that it's it's all in your head and you're the problem and that can sometimes prevent you from asking for help and, of course, once you ask for help and start to solve the problem, things quite rapidly improve, which is good because then you realise that it's not, it's not you inherently, you're the, you know, a problem forever. It's just the situation at the moment. What, so given the state that you're in that you've just described in terms of, you know, feeling that you were the problem and um, not really kind of knowing hmm. if you should ask for help or not wanting to ask for help or how did you come to the potential solution of dropping your hours yeah. to that point. Like, what, was that um, something I don't that remember. was kind of common for people who have done at the time that you knew about? How did you get there? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think that it was – I don't think that it's common for people who don't have children. Obviously, mm. um, it's very common for women and, and probably men, but I think teaching is just a largely uh, female population. But to, to go off on maternity leave – um, and when they come back to work after their maternity leave, however long they take for leave, six months, a year, two years, and then they come back part-time. So that's probably what I see as the most common. Um, I can't believe the difference it made to me, even in, you know, nothing about my physical health changed immediately because thyroid hormone takes a while to kick in, you know, changes there. Um, but the difference of going from, teaching load to an 80% teaching load, I can't believe the difference it made. I was still there five days a week, the way it worked out with the timetable. Theoretically, 80% sometimes means you get a full day off, but just with the timetable at my school. And it was a a couple of weeks into term two, I think, of that year. So, I mean, it was a bit of a nightmare, I'm sure, to timetable for my, um, my deputy principal. And... It just meant that I was there some days I did a half day instead of a full day um, of classes. But mm. most days I was still there at least from kind of eight till three I was because, you know, you still have work to do. Um, yes. But it meant that I didn't have quite as much to do in those evening hours and that was a just a godsend for me. It really, it really saved my sanity, um, even though nothing about 
the other health situation had resolved yet. But it's interesting. Just tip the balance enough to, exactly. to give you a little bit of reprieve. Yeah. A little, and a little bit of breathing room. And, and sometimes I think just knowing that you've taken some action to solve the problem, even if it's, it's not solved the problem yet, but it's a step towards it. I think sometimes that can make all the difference for us in our mindset because Absolutely. it just restores that sense of control. Um, but it was really interesting because before, when I was at uni, when I just had chronic fatigue for about two years, it was just this mystery illness. And I just felt like, until they found the thyroid cancer, I just felt like it, it was all in my head. Like I should have been healthy and something was wrong with me. I just couldn't get it together. When of course, actually there was some, some serious physical stuff going on, but it was an invisible illness and you know Mm. fatigue and um mood problems and all of that it's 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 invisible to other people which can make it really hard to believe it yourself especially when the messages you're getting from everywhere else is you know push harder do more uh be better you know and I think it was kind of the same when I dropped back to part-time a lot of other people you know obviously my my close circle knew um, but there, there were quite a number of people, even in the wider school community, that didn't understand it because I didn't look sick. The troubles I was having with, with my, you know, my concentration and my focus levels, the brain fog and stuff, um, the just bone deep fatigue, the anxiety that I was feeling, all of that's invisible. So um, it wasn't something that other people necessarily understood. And like I said, it wasn't really common, um, you know, unless you are coming back from maternity leave. It's a bit of a strange step to take to voluntarily uh, cut back your income because that's what I had to do. I had to sacrifice some income. But Mm. it was the only thing that meant that I could stay teaching for the next sort of three years. And I'm so glad I did it. We then trialled a couple of times me going back to full time once my um, physical health was better. But every time we did it, I I rapidly declined. So, um, yeah, it got to the point where... I just can't teach full-time because a full-time teaching load is a lot more than 40 hours a week and that's a lot Mm. more than than I physically can handle. Absolutely. And so I'm also curious to know, and because I think it has relevance to anyone who might be listening who maybe wants to ask the question for themselves, Mm. how the actual conversation happened because you just kind of said, you know, there wasn't, people didn't really understand because the symptoms that you were experiencing were very invisible. Mm. How did you actually go about asking that question in the first place? Yeah, um, it, it wasn't really a question. It was more crying in the office. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, I think it was probably a shock for my deputy principal because I don't think I had let on because, of course, with the whole people pleasing and feeling like I had to prove my myself I, I was trying very hard not to let on that I was really struggling. Um, and I, I waited until I got to crisis point before I actually said anything about it. And I'm sure it was a shock for my deputy principal and it was a really inconvenient time of year. Um, it's not like I uh, was able to say, oh, you know, when we get to next year, we, you know, perhaps we can try this change in the timetable. It was, it was like me falling in a heap in the office and... Thankfully, after, you know, some questions of I, where's this coming from and, like, just complete probably surprise, I guess, I was very well supported and it would have been, yeah, I think I said this before, it would have been 
a bit of a nightmare, I think, on, on the administration side to sort that out. And I, I really, I do remember a conversation about, well, is teaching for you? You know, maybe, maybe it's just a bit much for you. And I think it's, it's taken me probably three years to come to the conclusion that full-time teaching is too much for me um, mm. to, to really own that. Uh, at the time, and that's why we did some experiments with back and forth with full-time and back to part-time, you know, over the next probably two years because at the time I was, I was convinced that it was just because I, my thyroid levels were out of whack and I just wasn't very well. But then when I got back to being well, uh, we tested it again, you know, let's try back to full-time. And, of course, every other change to my my full-time equivalent, my, you know, my percentage of teaching load that I taught uh, was planned ahead. It, it wasn't a collapse in a heap in the office conversation. So I, I, mm. I, I owned it a lot more and I tried to make sure that I was a bit more on top of making it easy for the people around me as well to, to accommodate my needs as, as much as possible. So we tested it. I went back to full-time and my health rapidly declined again. So, you know, at the end of that semester, I went back to 0.8. And then after about another 18 months, I went back to 0.6, um, mm-hmm. which, which was three days a week. And that was probably the closest that I found to a good amount. Yep. A, a and what was the trigger? I'm sorry to interrupt, but mm. what was the trigger that kind of after 18 months, made you go, mm, I'm, I'm still not quite happy, I'm, I want to go down again. Yeah. And, and on top of that, again, what was the response that you received mm. from that decision or request? Yeah, the response was quite good because by that time my, my school was, you know, the whole school community uh, is, was very supportive and by that time it certainly wasn't a knee-jerk decision, it was something we'd been talking about for a little while, so we were able to plan for it. So it was. I got a good response. Um, the reason I, I decided to drop back further was I think that I was still I was realizing that I still wasn't actually that well. I was well mm-hmm. compared to the really unwell person I used to be, but I still wasn't actually well like other people are well. And I realized that it it still wasn't quite working for me. And what what I have to do to maintain my health. Um, physical and mental, you know, emotional, spiritual, all the levels of self-care. I have to work quite hard at that and it takes a lot of energy just to keep me at a a kind of a base level to be able to continue to function in the world. And Mm -hmm. I just didn't feel like I was quite there. I, I, I still was having symptoms that I knew would be, um, improved by another drop back in, in hours. And, you know, as it turns out, three days a week teaching is approximately much closer to, you know, mm-hmm. 40-hour work week than full-time teaching or even 0.8 teaching because that's just the nature of the job. It's not a 40-hour a week job. Um, yes. So I think it was a gradual realisation that even 80% wasn't quite the right amount. Absolutely. And I, I think too it's worth noting as well that the decision to go to 0.6 also then – added a level of responsibility around your role then becoming a shared role mm. and and how while because you had kind of been solely and I mean I know this because I know you again you were solely the music teacher mm. and then that role kind of got split mm. then there was kind of 
the managing of that is did you want to kind of extrapolate on that a little bit yeah so it solved you know I think like anything in life you solve one problem and then something else pops up that you that you (laughs) didn't have before because it it's kind of a problem that's created by the solution to the other problem. So yes, yeah. role sharing is inherent has inherent challenges. Um, I'm really really lucky that the woman that I was sharing my role with has become a really good friend. But initially, there were definitely challenges with that, and it, and it does change the way you have to operate at work as well, um, just from a day to day perspective. Um, also not being at school every day has its challenges as well when I was 0.8 I was actually still there every day just by the Mm. timetable but when I actually wanted to have a full day off or two full days off then you miss stuff because you're not at school every day and that has its own challenges as well but those challenges were you know I suppose it's about the challenges you want to accept and the ones you won't accept and I and what I wouldn't accept anymore and it took me a really long time to get this really since 2008 when I was first came down with glandular fever and then 2010 when I had the thyroid cancer it still took me till about early 2015 to really say no you know what my health I will not accept my health suffering anymore and I had had enough experience by then to know that when I prioritized my health over and above the other responsibilities in my life you know school and and home life as well when I made my self-care number one, everything else got easier and I got better at it anyway. So by ignoring my health in the name of being a better teacher, I was, it, it actually was um, counterproductive. And so when I put my health first, I became a better teacher anyway. So it was kind of win-win. Absolutely. And this kind of leads me into um, in, in talking about, you know, putting your, your self-care first. And, and I think it, there'd be a lot of value in you explaining exactly how you measured that, because as you said, especially from the drop from 0.8 to 0.6, it was just it wasn't as um, immediately obvious as you being in an office, yeah. you know, at breaking point. And I, again, curious to know what mm. were the kind of actionable things for external that, measures. Yeah, that were helping you to kind of mm. quantify how you were feeling, this invisible feeling that you yeah. were having and um, that helped you to come to those decisions. Yeah, and c- because it is in- mostly it is inherently qualitative rather than quantitative, but the two yes. quantitative measures that I, oh, probably three quantitative measures that I can think of really clearly. Number one, um, I stopped having this really yo-yo relationship with my thyroid levels and I had to have... These days I have fewer blood tests. I need fewer blood tests because everything's much more stable because I'm not doing this boom and bust thing anymore, which, you know, was just bad for my body because that's that's kind of the way the, the teaching system works. You have term time, even different parts of the term are like extremely, extremely full on and then you collapse in a heap in the school holidays and, you know, try and claw back some level of, stamina and then you start again and it is this this huge boom and bust thing throughout the year and that's just really not very good for me and when I dropped back to 0.8 and then 0.6 I was just able to manage that a little bit better so I wasn't having these huge fluctuations in my hormone test results um Mm -hmm. so there was that also um since I got really unwell the first time in 2008 on and off I've seen um various types of therapists and coaches and and so I stopped needing that crisis the the mental health crisis management stuff and and um i i stopped having the extreme symptoms of 
anxiety that I was certainly having around uh, teaching and also the, the deep emotional feelings of guilt um, and resentment because they're two sides of the same coin, I stopped living there. So that's probably the, the therapy sessions, you know, re- reducing and not needing those, that's definitely quantitative. But mm-hmm. that qualitative sense for me was, was more the, the movement away from some patterns of thinking and behaving that were, were making things harder for me, like the guilt and the resentment. And the other thing which was a big deal for me was exercise, actually having mm. the energy to exercise. And that's a really big deal for me because when I had chronic fatigue syndrome, I actually was told that I wasn't allowed to exercise because it, it, mm-hmm. it would, it would wear me out. I, I would have post-exertional malaise, which would mean that even something that other people wouldn't necessarily see as exercise, like I remember going once to Great Keppel Island and doing a walk, fairly short walk, maybe a 20-minute walk over this you know particular hill to another beach. And, I, I, you know, I was just worn out, like really worn out, bedridden sort of worn out or at least housebound, for about four days afterwards. Um, I, I really I could not exercise because my body couldn't handle it, even something as simple as a, a bit of a gentle walk. And then when I was full-time teaching and even point eight teaching, but especially full-time, I mean, if you spend all your daylight hours at school, there's not a lot of space left for exercise anyway. But I certainly still had elements of that post-exertional malaise going on, whereas if I, where if I did exercise too much I would I would get crook again what I have noticed especially since going back to point six and now you know being on leave um, and and not teaching other than supply teaching at all is my ability to exercise has just skyrocketed Um, and Mm. and that's a really strong measure for me because there was a time in my life when I I could not exercise at all. I could not even really mm. do basic basic physical activity. So that's a very big measure for me as well, that I'm consistently exercising at a, at a reasonable, moderate intensity um, most days of the week. Yeah, love that. I remember the malaise and yeah. uh, um, or knowing when you were going through it and the difference that you have now. So it's been, it's been a really big journey mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm interested to know, given everything that you've gone through, where, where do you sit now in terms of what self-care mm. means to you and, you know, like how are you now, I mean, I'm assuming a lot of what you've just described you're kind of still doing, but what are the things that you're doing now to help maintain your well-being? Yeah, well, t- I mean, taking a year off teaching is one of them and that's, that's to just see how I respond, not, not having um, even at a reduced level that, that boom and bust cycle of the year, which is just not very good for me. What does self-care mean to me? It, essentially that I am actually worthy of feeling well and enjoying my life and not feeling all the time like life is just a slog, a really Mm. hard slog. Um, It means making difficult choices sometimes, but difficult choices that allow me to prioritise my needs. It means a lot of self-awareness. 
because what works for me is not what works for somebody else. There are hundreds of thousands of teachers out there who, who have absolutely no problem with full-time teaching from a physical standpoint. They might still have some, some stress that they want to deal with um, and, of course, ups and downs in life. But, you know, what works for me with the, the chronic disease history that I have is going to be very different from other people. So it's self-awareness and being very in tune and experimenting and trying things, trial and error, being very in tune with what makes you feel better and what makes you, what makes you able to show up in the world as a more productive, more compassionate human being. Um, self-care for me, it's not just an act of self-preservation. It's actually a really responsible way to live. Because I know that when I was very unwell, when I was at my most unwell, I was basically housebound and I wasn't contributing much to the world. Obviously, I think a lot of teachers get into teaching because we want to make a difference. We're caring people. We see the great need in our community um, for you know, quality education and the difference that can make in somebody's life. And we, we want to make a difference in the world. When I was at my most unwell, I wasn't making a difference in the world. In fact, I was probably making life a lot harder for some of the people around me as well. Some of that's unavoidable when you're actually very unwell. But when you're unwell, when you're, when you're not coping because of the way you've been neglecting yourself, that's not a way I want to live my life anymore because I know from hard personal experience that as difficult as it can be to overcome some of those feelings of guilt, as uncomfortable as it can be to ask for help, to say no to things that even you might want to do but you know will not be, you will not be able to do or you know they'll have a detrimental effect on your you know, health and well-being, I know that even though some of that is difficult and uncomfortable, it is more difficult and uncomfortable to neglect myself to the point where I become unable to contribute even to my own life, let alone to the people around me, let alone to the wider community. So self-care to me is about being a a really responsible human, actually. And I I also think that there's just the added benefit that life's better. I'm a much happier person. No, but I see, I I love that. And I I mean, it it segues so beautifully into my final question. And I think I I just want to highlight from what you've just said that, you know, because my next question is going to be about what are your top tips for early career teachers Mm. to help them to stay happy and healthy and and to set them up for what may be a thriving career or maybe them, you know, finding that balance of um, workload or and and just work-life balance as well. Yeah. Um, And I think that I just want to highlight from what what you've just said that two tips – you've already mentioned are uh, uh, that self-awareness part and being in tune, mm. you know, with, with, uh, I suppose that's kind of the same thing, but, you know, being in tune with how you're feeling and what your, what your real goal is just, to, just on a personal level, not even if, whether you're a teacher or not on top of self-awareness, if you want to say more to that, please do, mm. but what are your top three or five or however many tips for those early career teachers? Number one, I would say, prioritize your physical health things like getting enough sleep getting some level of exercise in some form whatever works for you you know it doesn't have to be going to the gym every day it can be taking a gentle walk three times a week you know you might play netball or something like some kind of movement and eating well 
and doing some some kind of meditation or conscious relaxation that that switches off your fight or flight mode those four would be my absolute core suggestions for looking after your physical health they're so easy to put off it's so easy to say oh you know but I've got I've really just got to finish this worksheet and make it 10 times better for tomorrow so I'll I'll skimp on my sleep and yeah there's going to be occasions where you might need to have a really late night or you know skimp on some sleep one week because it's you know you're on school camp or something but don't make that the habit because it, it just erodes your physical health it erodes your your mental and emotional reserves as well which then just means that you're, you're less able to be productive and capable and efficient and effective so prioritize your physical health number one whatever that means to you but you know sleep food movement and some kind of uh, relaxation practice are the pretty standard uh, basics there mm. the next one I would say is check in with your why? Why are you teaching? What is your ultimate goal? Um, and there's probably a couple of answers. You know, part of it is you've just got to earn some money to pay your bills. Yes, definitely. Um, and so if you are, you know, in an insecure employment situation like being on temporary contracts, of course there's a level of wanting to, to prove yourself. But there's also going to be a level of wanting to make sure that you can um, continue to do the job and to show up and thrive, you know, for the long term. So check in with what that why is and really ask yourself if the short-term um, the short-term gains of whatever you're about to do, for example, staying up super late to make the perfect PowerPoint for tomorrow's lesson, is that actually undermining that long-term goal? And, uh, and, you know, just remind yourself that done is better than perfect. You do not have to be perfect. You can do a really good job and not be perfect. It's self-compassion. A lot of teachers that I meet, and this is just over the years but also in coaching, are really hard on themselves. We were often the high achievers at school. We're often the types that don't want to do something if we're not going to do it really, really well. Um, You're going to stuff up. (laughs) It's going to happen. You're learning first year, second year, 10th year. I think by the time you get to your 10th year, you're probably a bit more aware of this, but you've got to make mistakes. Some lessons, it doesn't matter how much you plan, they're not going to go to plan. And you just need to have a level of detachment from yeah, that idea of perfection, but also a level of detachment for, of your self-worth from the, the day-to-day ups and downs of the job. You're going to stuff up. Just accept it. Like be, be really kind and compassionate with yourself. Don't beat yourself up if, if you've made a mistake and that's why the lesson went not to plan or... Be really gentle with yourself because it's going to be a hard year. It always is, but first year in particular. And you won't necessarily have the the great excuse to say, oh, I need help on my first year. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> so that would be that would be my tips. Um, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to um, say quickly before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think there's an awful lot in there that... uh, We've covered a lot. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. 
I'd love it also if you would leave a rating and review in iTunes and share it with your friends. This really helps the podcast reach more people and together we can spread the message of teacher wellbeing to create thriving school communities. Don't forget there's also a review competition to celebrate the start of the podcast. So if you leave a review in the iTunes store before the 31st of March 2017, you'll go into the running to win some great prizes. Show notes for this episode can be found at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. You can also find me at facebook.com forward slash selfcareforteachers and on Instagram, my handle is at selfcareforteachers. So come along and follow me there.